Welcome to Nepal Now, I'm Marty Logan. Vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. This is what I'm talking and reading about these days when the subject is COVID-19. I've had my jab, and so has my wife, but my daughter, who's under 18, has not because Nepal hasn't offered vaccines to that age group yet. But she still has to go to school this week to take exams. My parents in Canada, who are over 80, have had two jabs, and now they're talking about a booster shot. And on and on it goes. But here in Nepal, only 20% of people are fully vaccinated and 22% partly vaccinated. More doses are reportedly on the way, and this week's news that neighboring India will start exporting vaccines in October is encouraging. But it's going to be months, at least, before the population approaches a vaccination rate where we can start to relax. In the meantime, masks are the answer. Today, we're speaking with Preeti Adhikari of the Norm Mask Project. You may have heard about its work in Bangladesh, where it was launched in 2020. The project is now also rolling out in Pakistan, India, and Latin America. One note, in one of my questions today, you'll hear me refer to the results from Bangladesh as a 300% increase in mask wearing. In fact, the rise was threefold, which I assumed was the same as 300%, but it's actually 200%. And now you know why I chose to study liberal arts after graduating high school. Thank you for downloading this episode. We'd really like to hear what you thought of it. So once you're done, please leave a review at Apple Podcasts. And now, my conversation with Preeti Adhikari. Preeti Adhikari, welcome to Nepal Now Podcast. Thank you, Marty. I'm really happy to be here. So um, I'd like you to tell me about your campaign, the Norm Mass campaign. I know a little bit about it because I've actually interviewed someone from another country in South Asia working on it. So I know it's multi-country. And the person I spoke to was in Pakistan. And at that time, the campaign in Nepal hadn't really started running. So it'd be great to hear what's happening here from you. Sure. Um, so I'll just tell you a little bit in terms of how I got started and, you know, the, what's the status in Nepal. I graduated uh, from Yale recently. Uh, one of the organizations that actually did the study that in Bangladesh that's now getting a lot of media attention was started from there. Um, so I had heard about Professor Mubarak's uh, work uh, and also the fact that they're doing this project, you know, in different countries in Asia. Uh, since I am from Nepal, uh, it, it's obviously a little personal to me as well, right? Uh, I have seen how Nepal is a little unprepared in a way as well. So I wanted to bring this, uh, you know, data-driven approach to Nepal. In terms of the work so far, uh, you know, uh, with the NORM project, it's, you know, it has a lot of evidence behind it, right? Uh, but to make it successful, we need people on the ground, local implementation partners, so our work has, uh, so far has been finding that finding those partners, which we have, uh, you know, fortunately. So we have this coalition of organization called uh, COVID-19 Rapid Action Task Force or C19RAT. So they've been our, you know, eyes and ears and hands and feet on the ground. Um, so, so far, uh, what we've done is we've actually launched uh, in August of this year and we've covered uh, about four different hotspots. 
just in terms of uh, you know sharing a few numbers, we've actually distributed about 250,000 masks so far. And we've also, if you know a little bit about the NORM project, it's you know NORM stands for No Mass No Cost Mass Distribution. O is offering information. R is reinforcement and M is modeling, right? So for us, it's not just about the distribution of mass, it's about reinforcement and making sure that we go back and double check what's happening in those spots. So, so far we've, uh, you know, distributed 250,000 mass and then 62,000 or so we've uh, distributed during reinforcement. Let me ask you then, so you said four hotspots and it sounds like that does not correspond to four districts in Nepal. So can you explain a little more where exactly it is? Sure, sure. Uh, So one of the things we've done is, you know, uh, really look at uh, data from even the planning and prep uh, and so on, right? Um, So I think CCMC, which is uh, Crisis Management uh, Committee of uh, Nepal, every 14 days or so, they come up with a list of hotspots in terms of what's happening in different parts around uh, Nepal and so on. So from that, we wanted to choose a few that are, you know, not just concentrated in the city, right? I mean, that I think uh, it mitigates the, the objective of the project. So we chose four. Uh, one is uh, Melamchi, which is uh, in sort of rural area. One is Matipur Timi, which is uh, considered uh, urban. Then we had Koshi, which is also rural and then we have Asan, which is, you know, in, inside Kathmandu. So we chose, uh, you know, different locations. There were a few criteria. One was what's the rate of COVID happening, the population density, uh, and also like, for example, with Milamchi, with the recent floods and so on. So we thought that in terms of urgent help needed, we thought those locations would be uh, ideal for, uh, for our work. Okay. Great. Now, I want to ask you uh, in a bit a question about, you know, why masks and instead of vaccines or, or something else. But before that, just to follow up on your answer, it sounds like there's a real mix, right? Like you said, Malamchi, Koshi, more rural, obviously Asan and Madhyapur Timi, much more urban. Um, the two other countries I'm a little bit familiar with in Bangladesh, it was also the campaign is also very rural whereas in Pakistan and Lahore, very urban. Does it make it more difficult for you here that you're doing both rural and urban at the same time? Um, Yes and no, I guess, right? I mean, uh, one good thing about the NOM project is other places have done, you know, some version of it. And these countries, we're all neighboring countries. There is a lot of similarity in terms of culture and the way things work, right? So we are able to, in a way, export and utilize and adopt those things. And then, you know, we obviously have to use our local nuances, uh, as well as the innovation that's happening, right? Uh, For example, in uh, Pakistan, I think they mailed uh, masks to, you know, different people. In India, we hear about similar things in terms of, you know, how people or or these uh, partners are coming up with really, really innovative solutions to uh, figuring out how to distribute or how to fundraise or how to collaborate and things like that. So definitely there's so much uh, to learn and adopt for Nepal. In terms of uh, Bangladesh, they started with the rural sort of study and uh, implementation and so on, but they've also started urban one because that's, again, very important in terms of the population density and so on. With Lahore, uh, 
I think they planned to do the implementation for 5 million people, and then it was really scaled to across the country, which is so amazing. When you compare Nepal to our neighboring neighbors, uh, the population is still not that bad, right? I mean, it's much lower in terms even in density and so on. What uh, what we saw was with the different sort of uh, types of locations we ch- uh, chose, uh, we obviously had to tweak a little bit, right, in terms of, you know, if it's in the city, we could mobilize our own volunteers. If it's further away, we had to really look at female health workers or, you know, the mayors of those uh, areas or, you know, other local volunteers. We had to sort of partner with other um, organizations that can mobilize volunteers and so on. But, you know, apart from those, I think we didn't have much uh, issues apart from that. Okay, okay. It sounds logistically like a big challenge, though, uh, because, I, again, I remember in Pakistan, uh, in Bangladesh, there's this famous NGO, BRAC, which is everywhere and has a huge number of local people affiliated with it who were who are involved in the campaign there. And as you said here, you're dealing with a mix of volunteers, female community health volunteers. So it is also a bit of a logistical challenge by the sound of it. Uh, it is, it is. But, you know, what I've realized is actually the the biggest challenge in terms of logistics for us was actually getting stuff to Nepal rather than, uh, you know, making sure it reaches different parts of the country. Um, just as an example, we actually planned, we started, you know, really thinking about uh, the non project in Nepal uh, in late May. And, you know, we had uh, uh, our donors, the Gates Foundation, ready with, uh, you know, some funding. We actually had uh, Innovation for Property Action, IPA, an NGO that that had some mass in uh, Bangladesh that, you know, that was ready to uh, send it. But because, you know, at times uh, Bangladesh was going through lockdowns and then India and then Nepal had some things going on, it took us two months even with all the support we could get, even with funds and even with, uh, you know, endorsements uh, from CCMC and everything, everything was in place, but it actually took us two months. So that actually is, uh, you know, crazy in a way, right? Uh, So so that was the hardest part. Just to add to that, we have uh, 1 million masks donated by Haynes in the U.S. uh, That's, you know, ready. We've been working for weeks and even months now just trying to, get them to Nepal. Uh, and uh, it's it's a struggle. So, uh, you know, if, uh, for us, when we think about it, it's the hardest part is, uh, is that in terms of getting things to Nepal. Right. Supply chains during COVID. I've heard about this in other contexts as, all, as well. One thing I, I want to mention, which really, really surprised me, pleasantly surprised me in my earlier interview, is the success that Bangladesh had, at least initially, the, if I understand correctly, the initial campaign um, increased mask wearing and then with the reinforcement by up to 300%, which I just thought was a monumental figure. And uh, is that the kind of target you're setting for Nepal or because the context is different? Are you, are you thinking that the campaign is going to have different results? 
what what we're trying to do at the end of the day, you know, our objective overall is to have behavior change, right? Um, so, of course, we are collecting data in terms of, like I said, uh, you know, the number of masks distributed. We're trying to get sampling and uh, see uh, what effects we can make. But what we do think is, you know, uh, and it comes back to your earlier comment about vaccines, what we know is uh, to stop COVID, the biggest thing is vaccines, obviously, right? We're not saying vaccines or masks. It's, you know, we're trying to say that, you know, pe- countries like Nepal, uh, it is going to take a while before everybody's vaccinated, right? Uh, and, you know, you can do lockdowns, but they're so costly for the economy, right? It's not very feasible to do it all the time. So while these things are happening, masks seem to be the you know, most cost-effective and easiest way to prevent deaths, right? Uh, And in terms of mask wearing, uh, people sort of know masks, people have masks, people have worn masks over the course of the, you know, uh, last year or so, right, at times. What we're trying to promote more than anything else is that they have to wear masks consistently. They have to, you know, wear masks properly and they shouldn't uh, treat it like, okay, uh, you know, COVID rates seem uh, crazy, so I should wear it or, you know, things seem fine, so I should go out and just go meet people. It should sort of, at least in the near future, we're trying to promote that habit of wearing masks until, you know, everybody uh, is vaccinated. Okay. I mean, that's the question I kind of foreshadowed earlier, because since the pandemic started in my head, I've been thinking, well, it's got to be over soon, and then we can stop doing all of these things, which, of course, I understand the reasons behind it. I'm doing them, including always wearing my mask. But still, I keep thinking, okay, the numbers look good. Maybe in two weeks, you know, I won't have to wear the mask every time. But it sounds like your you're thinking, you know, this could go on for a year or two years, or we shouldn't be thinking in terms of months. Right, right. And it's, you know, I fully understand how it's not fun, right, you to be wearing a mask. Um, Just to give an example, my mom got COVID earlier this year in Nepal, right, in February. Uh, And, you know, she hadn't met anybody for a year and things like that. Uh, And I was actually in Nepal for that. Uh, And, you know, even till then, uh, I think that's what everybody believed. And I believed it as well, that it was sort of the tail end of COVID in Nepal, right? Because at that time, you know, at some point it was uh, scary, but then, you know, it had sort of tapered off. So uh, even I thought that, you know, my mom was one of the few unlucky ones that sort of got it at the tail end when, you know, vaccines were getting there, people were starting to get vaccinated and things like that. And then after I came back, it sort of, uh, you know, exploded, right? The situation in Nepal uh, got really bad and things like that. And and that was one of the personal pulls for me because I saw how, uh, you know, in terms of that behavior with masks or in terms of just uh, that, uh, I don't want to call it laid back, but just in terms of our perception with uh, what was going on was so uh, short-sighted in a way, right? Because, you know, when my mom was in the hospital, I could see ICUs being filled up and, you know, a lot of things happening. And then I would come out of the hospital and nobody would be wearing, wearing masks. People would just make fun of me for wearing masks. And when, they wouldn't believe me when I said that hospitals were getting filled up, right? So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's also this thing that it's one, it's almost like a cycle. 
and the cycle is going to continue for a while, right? So it shouldn't just be what you see just around you. If you see, uh, you know, uh, family members or friends being okay and, you know, not hearing about deaths in your uh, immediate circle, we tend to believe that it's gone, right? But I think it's not going to like really go away for at least a little bit. So we should have a little bit of patience as well, right, in terms of dealing with it, really thinking uh, not just in terms of your uh, own personal safety, but, you know, people around you as well. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So I live, you know, in the heart of Kathmandu or just across the bridge in Lalitpur. And when I walk outside onto the main road, most people, 75% or more, are wearing masks. And again, the majority are wearing them properly. But I've been in the spring in March, I was in Sindhu Palchok. And, you know, once I got outside of the valley, basically no one was wearing a mask. You know, the people who were wearing them were people from Kathmandu or other places. Is that the situation now still outside of the big cities? Or did people kind of organically, as the pandemic has worn on, have, did they start wearing masks in smaller rural areas as well? Uh, they have in, in some degree, right? Uh, I think because the, the last uh, six months or so have been pretty scary for the country overall, right? I mean, it just even in terms of seeing numbers, almost everybody knows somebody that got COVID that, you know, uh, that might have died. So it's really made it, uh, you know, scary and almost personal for, for people. So we have seen better rates in terms of, you know, mask wearing and things like that. Uh, what uh, our volunteers have been trying to do is make sure that everybody has a mask. I mean, in the city and when everybody can afford it, it um, it's not a big thing in a way, right? Because that cost factor isn't there. But when we go to even slum areas or uh, places that, you know, have been displayed, uh, you know, that have been havoced by floods and things like that, people might not necessarily have access to masks or uh, things like that. Right. Okay. So as we know, the, there's been a lot of publicity and spotlight shone on the performance of the government during the pandemic, a lot of it negative. And so the fact that this campaign is being done by, I guess, civil society is the right term, rather than the government, do you see the campaign filling a gap that the government was not able to to fill itself or is it complementary to what the government is doing? Are you working with the various levels of government? What's your perspective on that? I would say it's complementary, right? Because I have seen, uh, you know, the Ministry of Health coming up with this, uh, you know, ma mass campaign. I've seen uh, some organizations, um, you know, some international agencies uh, have some promotion about masks and so on as well. Uh, what I do think is, at least in, you know, our part of the world, in, de in the developing world, what seems to be missing in general is this integrated approach, right? Because with the, with the mask project, I've also really seen how, you know, in, like we talked about earlier, international logistics work and so on. And you see that everywhere, whether it's Nepal, whether it's, you know, the U.S., right, there are so many organizations and individuals trying to help, trying to contribute in some way. But there's a lot of uh, duplication of work. 
right? For example, even the oxygen concentrators, when there was a lot of meat, there's like, you know, so many organizations, even from the US, trying to send stuff to Nepal, but there is no one sort of, you know, a dashboard or something where it's all connected. Instead of uh, being critical of different organizations, what my real, real hope is that we can move towards that, right? Because, you know, even if we are able to... Um, win this battle with COVID, I'm pretty sure there's going to be other disasters, right, natural or not, happening. So how do we really uh, sort of have this coalition that we can switch on and off when needed? That's actually super fast, agile, and, you know, can get things done. In terms of our sort of partnership or collaborations with Nepal, uh, we have an endorsement from CCMC, like I mentioned, uh, General uh, Sharma and uh, Dr. Arun Nipani. They've been amazing with us in terms of really understanding our approach and um, trying to really guide us through. Uh, we've been working with uh, at the local level with mayors and uh, community leaders because, you know, they're also really, really engaged with the community and also their communities really listen to them. So we've been trying to do that. Um, in terms of bigger uh, government or international bodies, we've had conversations and we're trying to sort of uh, make that an integrated approach. Um, it's uh, not ideal, obviously, and we see that, you know, across uh, different uh, countries as well. But what we're hoping is, you know, moving forward, we can really align, not just in terms of actions, but also in terms of messaging, right? Because if all the international bodies, the Ministry of Health, like us, people like us, we are saying the same thing in terms of, you know, that mask wearing is going to save lives and we should do that. It actually uh, hammers the message more, right? Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. I mean, I, I noticed again when when the pandemic started that civil society really leapt into action, right? And there's so much happening at a, at a micro level, at a micro local level, but then at, you know, uh, regional level, provincial level, etc. And there's so much being done. But again, what seemed to be missing is the link between uh, government and that whole kind of informal sector. Um, so I think your I think your aspiration is a really good one to tie things together and move the whole project forward as one. That would be great. Um, you mentioned earlier that there were some organizations that had donated or had um, expressed willingness to donate. You mentioned masks. There are mask, masks waiting to be sent in the U.S. There were some masks in South Asia. Is there any like dollar financing that is um, being donated or do you, do you have a need for someone to come up with cash or is it all in kind that you're working with? With donations, uh, you know, some are obviously in uh, cash, right? Uh, they're for particular things like implementation or they're for um, the cost of, you know, mobilizing volunteers and things like that. And some are just in kind in terms of, you know, Haynes, uh, for example, makes uh, clothing in the U.S. So they had, um, you know, a lot of masks and so on. So their donations are obviously in uh, cloth masks. Um, in terms of the help needed, yes, we definitely need some help just be, uh, to scale things up, right? Uh, one of the things we really prioritized in the beginning was that we couldn't really wait for wait to have all these discussions with a lot of organization and kind of we did in the initial uh, part, but then 
we couldn't really wait for decisions to be made months down the road and then get things rolling. We really wanted to get moving because, you know, every week that we're delayed, it causes, you know, a few deaths, right? And that can be prevented, hopefully. So we really tried to be uh, fast in terms of the action, in terms of, you know, finding these implementation partners, really moving forward and so on. But still, you know, as uh, small as Nepal is, it still takes a lot of resources to cover the entire country to actually have enough mass for everybody. So in that sense, we obviously would love any support uh, from any organization, any individual. Okay, and I will definitely put the contact information where people can reach you in the notes to this episode. So one thing that I skipped earlier, you're working in four hotspots now, is the idea that at a certain point you'll be able to expand to five and six and eight or and do them simultaneously or will you do those four and move on to the next four what's the forecast uh, so with every uh, hotspot we sort of uh, start off with the distribution and then you know after like uh, two weeks or so we go and reinforcement and you know we uh, check what's happening and things like that what we're hoping is with with the coalition that I mentioned, C nineteen uh, Rad, they have uh, you know a lot of volunteers and so on. But right in terms of earlier, what we were saying about uh, scaling up and really partnering and collaborating with other organizations, that can really help us as well. Of course, you know the cash uh, funds and so on; those help us get the mass, you know, get other supplies, get the insurance for these volunteers and so on. But if there are organizations that have volunteers, uh, we can actually scale up faster, right? Because, you know, group A can go on to different parts, uh, the eastern part of the country, and, you know, group B could go to the western part and so on, right, in terms of really managing that. What we're also doing is, you know, for our own volunteers, as well as people sort of that are coming from different organizations that are partnering with us, uh, we're providing the the training for it, right, really in terms of making sure that they understand uh, what's happening, what are we trying to do, also providing them with the uh, insurance and so on so that they know they're, you know, safe, they, they have all the uh, necessary supplies they need and, you know, they're sort of uh, taken care of. Okay, so someone doesn't have to be or an organization needn't be specialized in in public health or this sort of thing to work on the campaign? No, no, not at all. I think, and that's also uh, sort of this perception that we have, right? Because we uh, we think in terms of silos that, you know, this person or this organization has an expertise in public health or they, they do this, it's their responsibility and so on, right? I think it's, we should move away from that. I think we should really come together, right? It's, uh, it's, a job that needs uh, people and funds and so on. And it's something that uh, we should make people come together, irrespective of our expertise. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Preeti, for explaining this. And uh, it's obviously a very important project that you're working on. I wish you all the best of luck. And uh, like I said, hopefully we can help spread the word and get more people involved so the work goes further and faster. Thank you, Marty. This was great. Thanks again to Preeti Arikari for speaking with me today about the Norm Mask Initiative. Let us know what you thought of this episode by leaving a review at Apple Podcasts. It will help spread the word about the show. You can also chat with us on social media. 
We're Nepal Now or Nepal Now Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Write to me directly at marty at martylogan, M-A-R-T-Y-L-O-G-A-N dot net. Thanks as always to Sarai Logan for her work on Nepal Now's social media. I'm Marty Logan. I produced this episode and I'll talk to you again soon.